welcome to another edition of the Unicorns podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Mo Jabara, welcome to the Unicorns. Hey, thanks for having me. I want to go back in time before MathSpace. I understand you used to be a derivatives trader. What um, what was that like? Oh, it was oh, it was really fun. It was um, it was like playing a um, PlayStation. It's like playing a computer game. Um, just watching watching prices of of options and futures and things like that. The financial instruments going up and down, um, and you know you you have to. Um, model the price and decide what to buy and what to sell and, you know, play around with your parameters to get yourself a good um, position. And and what we did was called market making. So ultimately, we didn't take a view on the market. So it's not like we did a lot of like research and say, oh, this stock is going to go up, but this stock is going to go down. We we were completely agnostic to whether the market was going up or down. Um, the only thing, the ideal for us was to buy and sell lots and lots of times for a really small margin, but do it millions of times and and make a lot of money through doing that. So it was a really fun kind of thing to be involved in. How long did you do that for? I did that for four years um, and kind of, yeah, really enjoyed the work um, uh, and really got to exercise kind of my mathematical brain. Um, So it was an enjoyable four years of my life. And... Am I right in saying that was during the period of the GFC? Yeah. So my my last year um, at MathSpace was the the GFC year. Um, uh, yeah, I probably stayed for only about six months or so after the GFC. And what was it like trading during the period of the GFC? That must have been oh, an interesting time for you. Ridiculous. It was just uh, it was just a constant. Uh, if you imagine playing a game, um, it was every day coming in and it's like the, the grand final um, if you're playing a sport. Um, uh, just uh, the volatility in the market, the opportunities that were there. Um, you know, like I said, with market making, you, you, you're trading in a really kind of narrow range going in and out a lot of times. Um, but with that kind of volatility, the prices and the swings in the market were just um, enormous, um, which led to... A lot of opportunities. It was just intense um, every day, um, uh, going in and um, taking advantage of um, the volatility in the market. Can you draw a lot of parallels with what's happening in global markets now with coronavirus? Hundred percent. It's it's um, the markets are moving like crazy. Um, so they they went down like crazy um, initially, and now they've kind of rallied like crazy and nobody kind of understands why um, the economy's in a, in, a, in a bad place. Everybody knows that, but it's not being reflected in the markets. There's some kind of optimism that's going on in the markets. I don't, I don't follow it that closely anymore, so I don't kind of I was going um, to ask, and I, I know you're out of that, but do you, do, you, do you keep an eye on the market? No, no, just kind of macroeconomic trends. Like uh, that's just out of interest. Like, hey, what's going on? Why is, why is the market recovering so quickly when the world's still in a really bad place? Um but nothing in the specifics. Um, I just, I once I left, um, I, it, I really got kind of turned off from the whole um, financial markets and and yeah, that, that whole industry kind of. I want to stay as far away from it as I can. And was that was that the catalyst to say, look, it's it's time. I've got to do something else. Yeah, yeah. Like so, I had 
more, a bit of an awakening um, while I was there um, in that during that global financial crisis phase, uh, where, like I said, we were coming in. It was unbelievably great. Um, once in a lifetime or supposedly once in a lifetime trading conditions, although it seems like they're happening again now. Um, and we'd, we'd go in and we'd be, you know, making record profits almost every day. Uh, so it was, it was really surreal to kind of be, well, there's just heaps of opportunity. And then you'd kind of go home, you'd watch the news, you'd see the world was falling apart. Uh, you'd, you'd have friends losing their jobs and you start to question, okay, we're we're doing really well here. We're making a lot of money, but what value are we creating? Um, and that for me was a moment of clarity um, amidst the turmoil, uh, where I thought I don't want to just spend the rest of my life shifting money in a zero sum game. Um, and that's what derivatives is. I mean, I see it fairly clearly now, being on the outside of it. Um, I, I didn't see it back then, and I imagine a lot of people could kind of defend the position of the, the role the markets have to play in society. Um, but for me, it became pretty clear that it really is a zero-sum game. Uh, the only way you win is if somebody else is losing, and there's zero value creation in my opinion. Some people might argue that there's some value creation in the liquidity that you provide to the market, but yeah, in the scheme of things, it's just not what I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. I wanted to be doing something where I was actually creating value. And so how did the idea of math space come about? Um, so I've always had a strong mathematical background. Um, I've always loved maths. Uh, and I guess I guess in some ways the, the being a derivative trader opened my eyes up to the power of data as well. Uh, so initially the way math space started is I'm leaving Optiva. I kind of make an announcement at work. Um, I, I'm no longer going to be a derivative trader. Um, I was actually just made partner um, a couple of months earlier. So it was hugely surprising to everybody. I was getting kind of yeah. lots of pats on the back. You'd be made a partner. And then <laughs> two months later, it's like, the way I'm what, leaving. actually, yeah, by the way, I'm leaving. Um, it was funny. Even when I was made partner, I'm kind of thinking in the back of my mind, oh, what, what do I do here? Uh, I might not be around for a long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I... When I made that call, a friend of mine, I was actually his boss at the time at Optiva, um, he said, what are you going to do next? Um, um, and I said, you know, I don't know, but I'm thinking to just take a year off um, and maybe do some travel and then I might just be a maths teacher. I always love maths and I, yeah. I really want my next thing to be something that adds value. Um, so teaching is something that's just like I can be, you know, really happy with what I'm doing. Uh, and now he had a, a math tuition company. So he'd always been an entrepreneur. Um, yes. He's my co-founder, Chris. Uh, and so he had a he used to drive around from house to house while um, he was at university tutoring. And he thought to himself, hey, I can why the same thing I'm teaching person A, I'm just driving across town and teaching person B. Why don't I just try and get them in the same room and, you know, kind of scale it? Um, yep. so he started a math tuition center and all the while in the back of his mind is thinking, okay, this online stuff, you could even scale it even further. Um, and so when I told him I want to be a math teacher, it was just like, oh, I've, I think I've got the right person to I've kind of idea. like, yeah, I've got an idea. So yeah, I, I traveled for a month um, and then he pitched that idea to me and it was like, okay, um, let's start. Um, and that's it. <laughs> that's that's pretty much just like, it's a, a good mesh, mesh of my skills, um, my interests, 
Um, it's something I could see myself getting passionate about and spending a long time doing. Um, and I have. It's actually 10 years now. So I've never been 10 years in a, in a single job in ever. A job. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> how do you go about – okay, so you guys have an idea – you think it can work? How do you go about like forming a, forming a company and actually beginning to make it work? Yeah, so I think it was, you know, at the time, so we're talking ten years now. It's still the early stages of of tech startups. Um, so there wasn't really that much education around us, like how to how to go about a lean startup. Um, uh, there was bits and pieces, and we'd we'd really hang on to the, the small startup community for the for their wisdom. Um, but I think that naivety actually is probably a little bit of a good thing for us. Um, anyway, I think if we knew just how difficult it was, we probably never would have started. Um, so we began with just kind of sourcing questions. Uh, um, so we, we first thought, okay, we, what can technology bring, um, to this math learning experience, um, that, um, and why is it that people pay for math tuition? Uh, so, Right from the very beginning, our our kind of vision was to replicate that personal tutor experience in a in a digital environment. Um, and so we looked at what was out there, um, and largely anything online for teaching math was just uh, an assessment tool, um, right or wrong answer, multiple choice basically. Um, this is the question: What are the choices A, B, C, D? Like yeah. a, a tutor would never teach that way. Um, so we thought about okay, what's going to be our, our unique value proposition, and um, and so right from the start, our unique value proposition was we're going to actually help students um, as they're completing questions, just like a tutor would. Um, and then we laid lots of things on top of that. So, But that was the really core kind of um, IP of when we're writing a question, we're not just kind of writing the question, but we're really thinking about what are all the steps that a student will take to get there? What are the kinds of things that a tutor might say to them if they were sitting right next to them as they were working along, if they got stuck, if they made an error? Um, and so we built our system with that unique value proposition. Um, and then over time, we just kind of added uh, enough content to be a complete textbook resource. Uh, and, and then we added um, other layers of adaptivity. Um, so now that we know how you've gone in a question, um, if you're getting them correct, you can move on to harder questions quicker. And if you're getting them incorrect, we can take you back and kind of go, okay, well, before you learn two-step equations, you should learn one-step equations. How do we take you back to make sure you've got that mastered first? So, and that's really what it's kind of developed into. It's, I know a lot of um, tech companies would say that the original idea was was very different to what it ended up being and they pivoted a few times. And um, But for us, that was, from day one, that was our idea and um, we haven't really still pivoted. Working. Just still working. We've just added layers and layers of um, uh, personalization on top. Who comes up with all of the questions? Initially, me. Uh, so <laughs> Lucky you good at maths. <laughs> yeah, I'd gone from you know leading a team at a, a um, at a high flying kind of derivative trading firm to, hey, I'm gonna uh, get my hands dirty um, and write questions. So I spent probably the first six months doing um, a lot of the question writing. We we got a, a small team together, um, um, mostly kind of. Um, uh, maths graduates and honors students and things like that to um, just help with just the volume of the questions. Um, and I oversaw that for the first six months. Um, uh, yeah, before at some point we got, you know, trained teachers to lead our curriculum and head up our curriculum team and, and really uh, put that kind of professionalism on top of um, the enthusiasm um, that I brought. 
let's give our listeners a sense of the scale of MathSpace. Can you talk us through where it's being used, what years, how many schools, how many students, that sort of thing? Yeah, so we've got over half a million students using us. Um, and in Australia, we mostly focus on high schools. Um, we we cover um, down to grades three to six. So um, mm -hmm. we've got a number of primary schools um, as well, but we don't go all the way down to K. Like our focus really is on the seven to 12 high school. Um, uh, and... We we're in twenty five percent of Australian high schools, so um, you know, good. yeah, it's at the stage where uh, you know most people have heard of us, um, most students have heard of us. Um, some would love us, some would hate us. Um, just like um, in general with our mathematics, it's kind of uh, for a lot of kids, it's just a divisive um, topic. It's a bit scary topic for a lot of people. Um, um and and then we also have quite a presence in the u.s so the u.s is our other focus um we're in a number of um big districts there we've got a partnership with um, pearson in higher ed over there um and um it's a real growth market for us and and we we're putting a lot of um effort towards uh grow our growth plans so what do both teachers and students think of math space the teachers generally love us. Um, they they love the data. They love the the real mathematical approach that we take with the step by step. So they love that we don't dumb down the mathematics to multiple choice. Um, yeah. um, students are divided. Um, so uh, I think you get this with any math product. I think they're um, it's often just got to do with their uh, the mathematics. Um, itself they don't like the subject um, yeah. um and then also because we're really asking more of our students um so it takes a lot of um it takes some uh some professional development with the teachers to make sure that they get that onboarding right for students um and really get them to embrace embrace that kind of growth mindset um that where this is not a game um i think uh, it, uh, it's a kind of a real shame but uh, um the impression i guess uh, and I don't think anyone did this on purpose, but just because the easiest approach to uh, digital mathematics has been to just do kind of multiple choice and games. Um, and so um, yeah. for a lot of students, that's kind of put the, um, just given them the impression that, you know, digital math tools are meant to be fun. Um, uh, and Whereas yeah. you, you take, you take uh, the students through line by line by line. Well, we go, yeah, we go a real serious kind of approach to learning mathematics, that productive struggle that, you know, this is going to be hard. We actually want you to think about it, to work it out, to um, go through step by step how you might get that answer. Um, whereas, you know, when you're faced with a multiple choice question, you're just like, oh, uh, I'm not sure. Why don't we just try A? Um, why don't we just try B? Okay, it's not, it's not A or B, it's C. Thank you. Let's move on to the next question. So we actually, you know, it's, we want the students to get frustrated. That's what we call productive struggle. Um, that's where the learning is actually done. Um, so, um, so yeah, so, I think. So, it, where, where does where does math space fit in the teaching arsenal? I suppose of of a of a school is this like a a helpful over the shoulder after hours tool for students studying maths? It's it's not, I presume, not meant to replace. Uh, maths teachers in the classroom. 
Yeah, no, um, it's really meant to um, level up teachers to to be the, the best selves, um, so the best that they can be. So um, we we have different use cases. We're, we've made the platform very flexible uh, so that teachers can use it as needed for their classroom. We really understand that students under, that, that teachers understand their students best and understand what's best for their classroom. So we have some schools that are using us as their core resource. Um, so they've replaced their textbook entirely with MathSpace. Um, and they're the schools that we work closest with because they uh, they really see the, the vision for uh, a data-driven classroom. Um, and then there's teachers who, you know, still do very much their old teaching style, still kind of chalk and talk at the front of the class, and then they'll use MathSpace for, say, homework or some extra, extra um, uh, classwork so for just the, the questions and the, and the marking side of things. Um, um, but the, the ones how, does, um, how, how does maths teaching vary from state to state around Australia and, and even internationally? Yeah, it's a good question. There's, there's, I mean, there's definitely a lot of common things, but there's there's also some obvious trends where people at uh, different states take a different approach. Um, probably the biggest one that comes to mind is um, Victoria uh, has a very uh, mastery-driven uh, approach. Uh, so, and it's kind of built in from the way their teachers have to report on students. So they need to report on the grade levels and the growth of a student across a grade level. So a student in grade nine, um, teachers have to actually report, okay, they're actually currently working at a grade seven level. Um, and by the end of the year, they've kind of grown to a grade 7.8, um, even though they're in grade nine. Um, whereas in, in New South Wales, um, the it's more kind of like a grade. Um, so that year nine student that, that's operating at a, at a grade you know, seven level, they'd probably just be a D student. Um, but, you know, the the re- report they report on on grade nine. So on grade nine, they're a D student. Um, so I, I really like the approach of Victoria. Um, I think it's a, it's a more states are thinking of moving that way. I read just the other day that New South Wales is looking at curriculum reform and that's one of the things that they're, they're looking at. Um, again, so, yeah, back to basics again. Yeah, yeah. Back to basics, I think for the early years. Um, but I th- what uh, from what I um, gathered from it, um, they're doing a uh, a kind of stage, not age approach. Um, so where students are met where they're at. So if if they are two years behind grade level, you know, let's not force them to learn at grade level and just watch them get D's. It's so demotivating for a student. Um, if you focus on their growth and say that you've had more than one year of growth. Um, that's that's a much better outcome and a much better position to put students in. So um, there's some of the kind of um, differences in the US. It's oh, the US introduced this Common Core curriculum, um, really um, progressive um, curriculum, looking to do more uh, problem based approach to learning, um, and it's kind of split the country a little bit. There's there's something called the math wars over there um, where some people are very much in favor of this um, uh, progressive curriculum, this approach of trying to get the students to have some motivation into doing the maths uh, while others are, no, you know, this is getting us nowhere. Let's just go back to basics. Let's just kind of get them to drill through um, the content. Um, so it's quite split depending on which state you're in. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, there was recently there's Florida has kind of moved away from the Common Core and thing, and it's, it gets kind of political a little bit over there. Mm. Let's talk about lockdown. Obviously, that's been a huge thing for everyone. Uh, learning from home, students not at school, trying to interact with their teachers over Zoom or technology. How has that? Um, how has this period affected math space? Oh, we've been busy. Uh, so, I bet. Uh, yeah, obviously, a lot of we've seen a huge increase in in usage um, uh, across the board. Uh, we made the call early to offer um, schools who are affected um, free access over the period, um, uh, just doing our bit to help in a tough time. Um, and we had a, a whole lot of schools um, take us up on that. Um, I guess one of the uh, it's. Some of the feedback that's come through um, has been really encouraging um, in terms of what this has done to move people's mindset as to what technology can do um, in the classroom. So we ran a, a survey um, with a, close to 500 teachers um, participated in the survey, uh, and the the overwhelming thing was um, I've learned so much in this period that I want to take back to my classroom. Um, I'm going to use digital in a whole other way. Um, people have been using MathBase for four or five years, um, coming back saying, I, I didn't realize just how much value I could get out of the product. So really encouraging. And I, I think it's going to um, have some, you know, really accelerate the, the move towards uh, those kinds of things like a mastery-based approach instead of just, you know, teaching everybody the same thing, greater personalization in the classroom. Let's, let's talk about STEM. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about um, how Australia ranks in the jobs of the future. What's your view on how Australia tackles STEM? I mean, clearly we have to do more. Clearly what we've been doing is, uh, is not enough. Um, uh, I, I think there's a lot of uh, a cultural shift that needs to happen. Um, I see that, uh, most recently the... Um, the government's um, kind of subsidised um, math and engineering degrees more than the humanities. Uh, I saw that. Mm. Yeah, um, which is a, an interesting approach. Um, I think I think there has to be a kind of cultural shift in how we see mathematics as well, and how we see how we see teachers. Um, teachers. One of the big problems with mathematics um, is the amount of uh, untrained teachers. Um, you know, teachers out of field, PE teachers teaching mathematics at schools. Um, it's huge. Uh, so there's a huge shortage of, of math teachers. Um, I read somewhere that uh, 75% of students will go through at least one year of their education being taught by uh, a non-math teacher, um, being taught mathematics by a non-math teacher. So mm. um, That never helps. It's not going to help, right? Um, how do you instill the? How does a PE teacher instill the kind of? It's, it's not just the content, but how do they kind of instill the the passion for the subject, right? Like That's when right. Yeah. when art teacher is teaching art, um, you know they're they're not just teaching the content; they're 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 actually you know really invested in 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 what they're teaching. Um, yeah, and uh, for mathematics, it's 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 similar. Um, you we really need great math teachers out there uh, and it's it's a difficult one because it, it kind of yeah it's like this vicious cycle um, because we need more math graduates um, 
or STEM graduates in general. Um, and we need more teachers, but we can't get more STEM graduates until we get better teachers. Um, and the other like interesting thing about it is because of such a demand for STEM skills um, is these people who are um, that way inclined, um, who may want to go on to be a teacher, uh, what do they do? They take up that um, that engineering role that's that's going to pay double what a teacher might earn, um, mm. or you know, or, um, not not straight out of university, but they're, they're kind of growth prospects um, as a senior engineer, probably a lot more than um, than as a a yeah. really great math teacher. Um, you're still very very capped, and they, you could be the the best math teacher in the world um, compared to being a gun um, software engineer or chemical engineer or petroleum engineer, whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I, I think we have to put more um, – uh, we need to get better teachers. Like we need to get our best and brightest into um, teaching and have ways and pathways for um, some of the the great mathematical and science and technology and engineering talent um, to become teachers and pass that on to the next generation. Um, so I don't have any answers, just some ideas. Um, and I do, I think, yeah, like I said, it's a, it's a bit of a cycle, but there's a cultural shift that I think is something that we need to do kind of immediately. The, the, it's okay to not be good at maths or, you know, I think like you, you, you could get a politician joke about it and say, oh, you know, don't, don't, I don't know how to do the maths. Um, you know, don't talk to me about the maths. Ha, ha, ha. That's, uh, um, we don't, if somebody was to say, um, a politician was to say, oh, I can't read. Um, we'd, we'd really frown upon that. It's like unacceptable. Mm, and, you're right. Um, yeah. And it should be that way with mathematics as well. So when we see, when we value mathematics as a culture, um, uh, then a lot of the other things kind of fall in place. Um, so the the paying to teach as well, um, even the, the thing is not just the pay. I think there is, it's just teachers in general um are not held up to the esteem that they should be. Um, um, so it's a tough job, and if if they're not kind of um, you know socially not held in a high regard, um, uh, even by their students, you know um, they're they're battling um, with distracted students in an age of technology and um, all kinds of things. Like who would want to get into that um, and you know not get paid particularly well, um, and and then also kind of um, not really be held in high esteem by society. All those kinds of things contribute. So that's, I think, a good starting point. Um, hopefully a lot of the other things would kind of fall out naturally from if we start with culture. Well said, Mo. Some great points there. Thank you very much for joining us today on The Unicorns. Definitely a company to watch in the future and we wish you all the very best. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Justin.